Hello everybody and welcome to Brunvagoon, your weekly dose of bicycle stuff together with Stefano, aka myself, aka Calamaro, that today is gonna walk with you to a new episode and we will talk about a lot of stuff. But first of all, I have to remember to you, as usual, my contacts, hello at calamaro.cc, Still, you need to drop me a lot of emails because in a couple of weeks it's gonna be again, because February is pretty short, it's gonna be again Tip Top Tuesday. By the way, send me also your feedback because I just want to know if you liked my suggestion on how to downhill like a boss. The other contacts are twitter.com slash readcalamaro and instagram.com slash readcalamaro. There you will find all my stories. I have to say thank you again, as usual, to my sponsor. And I have to talk about Wahoo. Did you see, actually, during this weekend there was the Cross Cycling World Championship and one guy who is riding with the Wahoo element won I'm talking about Vault, Vault, Vault Van Art that arrived the first, completely outside of any thing that you can imagine. Everybody was waiting for Matthew Van der Poel, but Van Art won, and I'm pretty happy about it. I really like this Belgian guy. So yeah, thanks Wahoo for your support to my adventure of this year, and thanks also to Isadore. Isadore, the perfect gears that you can wear during the bicycle rides. And uh, also today, actually, I was wearing a kit, the Echelon, the Echelon kit that I was using in summer, back in summer, today, because today it was the day of my bike fitting of 2018. I got a bit of fixing on my hammer because it looks like I was riding not exactly in the perfect way and uh, it looks like I also had a rocking hip. So I was moving really too much my hip while riding and also my shoulder. Thanks to Rafael from Diagnose Berlin. Probably I will fix all my problems. I, I will not have any more my pain on my legs and yeah, ankle and everything. So big shout out to Diagnose Berlin and thanks Rafa. If you want to have a perfect bite fitting, but not only this, also the perfect training, the perfect diagnose on uh, your yes, on your performances on bicycle or also in other stuff, you can go to this guy. Thanks a lot, Rafael, again. So, as I saw at the beginning, this week is going to be again women's bicycle, women's cycling week with a great interview to a great character of the women's cycling world. I'm talking about Corinne Rivera, the Thunderbolt cyclist who last year won the Tour de Flanders. Yes, I'm talking exactly about her and I will talk in with her just after my snapping. Enjoy! And yes, another episode about women cycling. You know that I really like this topic in this season of Broomwagoon, the first season of Broomwagoon. And I'm really, really, really happy and yeah, and super happy <laughs> to have with me today Corinne Rivera. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, yeah really good. And uh, especially, as I was saying, with a huge smile in my face to interview you. I don't know if you people know Corinne, but just can tell you that last year I saw her winning on the pavé of the Tour de Flanders. But you don't want to hear me introduce her. It's better to hear Corinne introduce Corinne. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
Yeah, I guess my name's Kern Rivera. Uh, I'll be 26 this year. I race uh, for Team Sunweb. Um, I've been riding since I was like nine years old and uh, turned professional when I was 16 in the States and, you know, racing local criteriums and stuff. And then, um, yeah, I went, uh, raced all through the junior ranks, went to junior worlds uh, when I was 17 and 18. And then I went to college after that. Uh, raced collegiately for four years and also went to uh, world championships in Richmond during my senior year. And then uh, we graduated December of 2015, um, walked in May of 2016. Uh, so that was, um, I guess, a very big non-cycling accomplishment for me. I studied business marketing. And then the year after that, um, I had signed with uh, Sunweb. So last year was my first year full-time professional uh, in Europe. Yeah, so we can say that we are almost sharing all our passion and profession let's say because i'm also working in marketing in my day and uh, then cycling my uh, riding my bicycle during mostly the ride or the, uh, the night or the weekend so yeah we are similar marketing cycles i'm kidding i'm <laughs> kidding you're a professional cyclist i'm just a, pe a person speaking on a microphone all the time and my second question would be talking still about your story of uh, in the cycling world how everything happened how you got in love with the bicycle um, I just really liked being outdoors and being competitive and when I was younger. So uh, before I found the bike, I had played soccer before. And then, um, yeah, our family always went snowboarding in the winters and, you know, surfing with my uncle a lot. So I just love being outdoors and I like being competitive. And um, when I found the bike, um, I was riding with my parents a lot and my dad had a tandem and I was on the back of the tandem with him. And then um, like about a year later or so, one of his friends kind of uh, dared me to, to race a kid's race, a local kid's race um, at Redlands Classic, which is still a pretty big um, Southern California race uh, in the U.S. calendar. Um, but yeah, it was a one lap kid's race and I took off and I had one. And uh, yeah, of course, it was only one lap, so it wasn't like strenuous or anything. But I was so um, excited and thrilled to race, and I, I really loved being competitive. And so did that same race the next year, and then I, I had won it again. But then I was like, man, I can't wait like every year for this one race. So uh, that's when uh, I got a racing license, and then also got junior gears, and then started racing every weekend locally. And then that led to California state championships. And then that eventually led to U.S. national championships. And then, uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history. <laughs> Just racing every year, doing going to the national championships with my family. And just, yeah, just continuing to progress throughout the sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. How would you consider yourself as cycling-wise, let's say, a sprinter uh, or rounded or climber? Um, personally, I, I like to see myself as just a bike racer. So not necessarily specializing in, in anything. Um, although, I, yeah, sprinting is a strength of mine, but I really like uh, racing with my head. I like race craft. I like strategy. Um, you know, even if the odds are against you, I like finding a way to get across that line first. And um, yeah, in the past, you know, people have always told me, ah, you're a sprinter, you're a sprinter, and like always wait, you know, for you in the sprint. Um, but I think I've 
kind of proved that wrong and pushed past that kind of barrier of being just a sprinter. So, you know, I prefer the harder races and, and the races that involve a lot of strategy um, while I still have a really strong kick at the end of the race. You do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, you were mentioning before that uh, you were racing in the US, you were racing in Europe, and especially you were racing in a lot of different disciplines. So uh, cyclocross and uh, in the track and the creeds and the road races and all terrain, a lot of stuff. But which one is the one that you like more? I think that the quest, the answer is already in your career. But yeah, which one would you gives you a bit more of adrenaline? Which kind of speciality? Um. It's funny because this question is usually more like, which one's your favorite? You know, and I would I would typically mm-hmm. say road. Um, I like, yeah, the, the endurance of it, the strategy, all that. Um, but now that you say what gives me more adrenaline, I think it kind of changes yeah. my answer a little bit. And so I would have to say uh, criteriums. And that's kind of always been my, my backbone of, of racing. And um, even though I don't really do it that much anymore, um, I would totally love to go back to it. And it's just, you know, at one hour of just full gas racing and, you know, really close close to each other and a lot of corners and, um, and of course, you know, a sprint at the, at the end. And so I really loved crits um, growing up. And uh, I think I learned a lot of race craft also from racing criteriums. And, um, and it's great for spectating too, because it's, it's just an hour, you know, you can still be engaged as an athlete and as a spectator at the same time. And it's, you know, always exciting. Something's going on and everyone is, you know, strong enough to do something within an hour. So I think that makes it an exciting race. Um, yeah, Mm -hmm. for everyone, the athlete and the spectator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, as you were saying, it's really technical. It's really tactical as well. And you need to handle your bicycle perfectly. Plus the kick at the end. Yeah, I can see the point then. Exactly. Um, yeah, and in this period, I'm uh, reading the book of Phil Gaiman. Um, I'm actually he's writing a lot um, about the differences between riding in the US and riding then in the main peloton in Europe. I saw his answer, but what about yours? Which one are the main differences between riding in the, U- in the US and riding in the World Tour? What was, what was his answer? Yeah, it's actually saying then it's a bit, it's harder to do, obviously, in Europe, because you can see, obviously, you have different kind of geographical things. And you have also the most important players are obviously in Europe. So it's tougher, it's way tougher to ride in Europe than in the US. I'm not saying that in the US is more chilled. I am not saying Mm -hmm. this at all and is not seeing this, but for sure to do it in Europe is a bit tougher because of the condition and also because the ride usually is harder because there are everybody that wants to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just curious what his answer because I I haven't read his book before. Um, But for my... I, I suggest you to do it, actually. I recommend this book. It's really, really cool. Nice, yeah, I will. But uh, so my perspective on it is, uh, yeah, of course, like the roads in the U.S. are much larger, um, wider, mm-hmm. uh, pretty straightforward. It's not really too windy most of the time. Uh, whereas in mm-hmm. Europe, I mean, a lot of these roads, like especially in the Flanders races, are, you know, hundreds of years old pavé, um, yeah. you know, super 
narrow and twisty and um, you really have to to know the course to be prepared for it and um, in the states there's just so much room to to move up and it it is kind of actually more chilled um, just because you don't really have to worry about too much and there's always like room to like get out um, which also almost makes the race sometimes harder in a sense that um, there's not too much hiding maybe if that makes sense okay um, but yeah I mean I think the way I compare us racing and European racing it's like it's like doing a criterium like a one hour US criterium but for like three or four hours so you're like constantly being engaged with the race and because the roads are so twisty and narrow you really have to you know be aware and also knowing the course you know when you have to think about positioning or crosswinds or you know base of a climb or getting ready for the sprint I mean you're constantly thinking and um whereas I think in the U.S. it's it is more chilled because it's like oh yeah it's just straight road for I don't know 12k and then there's like a 90 degree corner and then 300 meters to the sprint whatever so it's a little bit more straightforward less to think about in the u.s cool and talking about general uh, so i'm thinking about in general racing and races themselves which one is your favorite one the one that you're waiting for for the whole year uh i think that definitely has to be flanders i think it really reminds me of like the crazy criteriums at home with like a huge crowd and everyone's drunk and you know passionate about the race um and then also it's just like such a prestigious race and i really love the spring classic uh part of the season and i think it's those are the races that really suit me and that i really have fun in and so yeah i mean that's like one of the biggest um yeah spring classics to to even start so i think that's really uh one of the bigger uh, spring classics that I like but pretty much most and all of the spring classics I love from from Newsblad all the way through Liège I think they're all incredible races do you have already a plan actually for your season right now for sure as I can understand you're gonna do a lot of this spring classics but are you planning something special for the next season or yeah I'm pretty much doing all of the classics uh, yeah I'm pretty much racing at least once every week starting with Newsblad So, um, you know, I, I love these races and I get so excited for them and, um, it kind of, you know, I'm away from home for like four months this year. So from January all the way through the end of April and, uh, racing every week kind of helps keep me, you know, engaged and focused. And I don't have like two weeks to be like, oh yeah, I could be at home and in, in the sun in California. So, um, I like Uh, racing a lot in the spring because usually you are so in this four months you're going to be in Europe but usually you are still based in the US yeah uh, so yeah this year my schedule is a little bit different because there's less time between our training camps um, so instead of going home I'm just gonna stay here in Europe um, and just continue to focus on training here okay 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 are you participating to the Giro Rosa uh, I will not be doing that this year Okay, cool. And yeah, and you're staying here in Europe also thinking about your riding uh, in the US. Which one is your favorite? You know, I have to talk about climbing sometime. Which one is your favorite climb mountain slash pass? The one that's, yeah, that you like the most to do it. <laughs> uh, I like the ones that I don't have to do. Ah, uh, that's a lovely <laughs> answer. Perfect. <laughs> uh, no, um, but really... I, I do love climbing and, and training, um, but 
I think, I don't know if you've maybe even heard of it, but it's just a climb that I've done since I was a kid. And it's uh, in Glendora called Glendora Mountain Road. And it's actually pretty famous for like motorcycles and cars when they're, you know, shooting videos there. But I've done that climb so many times. Um, I, I feel like I could descend like with my eyes closed on it. So I guess I really climbed so that I could come down. Um, but when I was younger, we used to do hill repeats um, at, Glen at GMR. Uh, what we call it short for short and uh, we'll go up GMR down the other side called East Fork back up East Fork down GMR and then up GMR one more time so we do these cl this you know climb three times and then um, yeah the funnest part was descending <laughs> perfect can you repeat the name for me and is it it's in US yeah, right Glendora Mountain Road okay Okay, perfect. It's in California. Yeah, Southern then. California. It's like in the San Dimas area. Okay, okay, okay. Good to know because I was planning actually to go to the US and uh, yeah, April, I think. So yeah, probably could be a good thing to go. Yeah, and ride totally. There, especially yeah. downhill. And the switchbacks are like so perfect. Like they're so mellow. You don't have to like break too much. It's just really, really fun, uh, you know, well done road. Yeah. And like when it's too steep, you know, like sometimes it's like not really that fun because you're like always having to break or you're kind of like scared. And this one's just like super smooth and flowy and mellow. Cool. Something that you cannot find easily here in Europe. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're a bit more aggressive here. Yeah. Also, the tarmac is not well maintained. So, yeah, yeah. I can see. And, uh, yeah, talking a bit more about uh, the movement itself and the scene of women cycling, how would you see in the midterm future, let's say, and I'm not talking about this year or next year, but in the midterm future, uh, the movement of the women cycling, professional and not professional women cycling. So, uh, you know, there's this, the Women's Union, the Cyclist Alliance that kind of just got started um, the end of the, last year, I think. Uh, so I think that's mm -hmm. really a big step for us because part of, I think, our issue is just kind of a lack of knowledge and experience. And I think uh, having this women's union can help kind of educate, you know, up and coming riders and also current riders about things we can do to kind of uh, watch out for ourselves or protect ourselves in, in, in the sport. And there are some things in men's cycling that, that we can learn from and do better. And we're kind of, the sport itself is kind of still in a phase. I think that we can, we can change a lot of things before it gets too established. So men's cycling is very, very established. It's set. Um, and we are in a huge like growth period where a, a lot of different things can happen. And so I think this is a, a good way to kind of take the reins of our own sport and kind of make it what we want it to be. Um, but in the midterm, I, I really hope that we can get um, a minimum wage because I think more than half the Peloton kind of do it as, I would say, like a hobby. Because if you're not really making, if you can't live off of what you're doing, it's not really a profession. So how can you actually call it, you know, a professional sport or how can you call yourself a professional athlete? Um, so I think that's one of the biggest things. But conversely, like, you know, it needs to be sustainable, you know, for the team and and then also, you know, there needs to be enough exposure from the race so that the team sponsors, you know, can be exposed to. So there's a lot of different moving parts of what can make this better for, for everyone. Um, but yeah, you know, big steps in the media and having more 
coverage and not just like a seven minute recap video of the world tour races, you know, like actually getting the race and capturing like the real highlights and moments of the race, uh, you know, maybe even like the last hour, but not like really like yeah. a seven minute clip of, you know, which, I mean, it's still a good step, but I think there needs to be more and show people or like find a way for people to watch and fall or like and fall more in love with, with what we do. Um, and, and people want it. That's, that's another thing too, that I think can, can really improve. And then if, when we get more exposure, then, you know, teams can hold their sponsors better. So, so sponsor will start again, again, we'll start properly investing on women's cycling and then you can be really pro riders. Right and not looking forward to the looking forward looking at the end of your career to find another job or still find a job while you are training to make Giro Rosa to the Flanders and Ghent by Galvan and right, whatever right. yeah like, like maybe fun. sure it's impressive that you can do both at the same time but I don't think that's truly really being a professional athlete and um, so I think there really needs to be a separation there and I think yeah in the midterm like non-competitive cycling Like you were saying, um, yeah, I mean, that that's great. I mean, I think other people make a decent living off of like Instagram followers, you know, just having a character or like, you know, a personality. And so, yeah, I think there's there's other avenues of, of cycling. And I think hopefully the racing can influence more women to, to just ride, you know, in general. Yeah, but as you were saying, uh, here the risk is that if people are looking for, you know, uh, increase their visibility on social media or whatever and not only on improving their cycling skills or riding or whatever the risk is that is this is gonna be like i don't know a world wrestling federation that's the point because it's gonna be everything fake and just for the sponsor because you need to be shown up in the social media whatever trying to get the sponsor invest on cycling itself to make the races more engaging tougher maybe and to make everybody riding in the peloton like a pro rider then it's better for the sport and it's better for the athletes that's yeah absolutely yeah uh, you were mentioning i don't know if i can ask you you were mentioning about the riders union i didn't know about it can you tell me more about yeah, it? yeah it's called um the, the cyclist alliance and it's kind of headed by iris lapindel uh carmen small and both are retired now and also gracie elvin who's mm -hmm. still currently riding Um, okay. And so th I think those three are really kind of the spearhead of this this movement. Yeah, and basically we're just trying to get all the the pro women together and um, and uh, yeah form a union so that we can watch out for ourselves. And um, yeah, and there's some some legal help behind and as far as um, yeah what to look out for in contracts or if, if anything happens, you know how do we go about it? And also I think. Um, Iris and Mariana Voss uh, had done a survey last year, this time last year, um, and the results were, were, were pretty crazy to see. Um, I think there was almost 400 uh, pro women who had done the survey. Yeah, and it said, you know, I think, I don't know for sure off the top of my head, I have to look it up, but I think the majority of you know, the Peloton, you know, gets paid like less than 10,000 euros a year. Yeah, okay. You know, and it's just, that's like kind of eye-opening and a bit ridiculous. And I think people, if people are more open to, to just, you know, what they make and how it's not okay, I think that can help, uh, yeah. you know, push a minimum wage forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes completely sense. Yeah, yeah. 
Great. Yeah, it's actually a hope that is going to develop. So you can actually, being all together, you can also negotiate better your salaries or your minimal salary and everything because otherwise, yeah, you were mentioning $10,000 yeah, $10, uh, for a year. It's yeah, that's not even minimum wage. No, 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 exactly. You cannot pay your expenses, actually. You cannot pay your rent. No, definitely way. not. So, <laughs> so, And it, I think that goes hand in hand. I don't know if everyone sees it the same way, but if you, I feel mm. like you're more accountable and you're more invested if you're actually getting, you know, getting paid a, a living. You know, if you can actually make it doing what you do, I feel like you won't take it for, for granted, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, 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 makes completely sense. Uh, still talking about movement, but something else. I was watching at your Instagram, and I saw that in the last week you were back to the mm-hmm. Philippines. And you were riding bicycle there. And how is it, actually, the movement there, the scene of cyclists? There are people cycling. There are some teams maybe riding over there. How is it? Yeah, so um, the last time I was in the Philippines was about 15 years ago. I think I was like 9 or 10 years mm-hmm. old. So I was I was just getting into cycling, not really that big yet. Um, and when I was there, my dad had ridden around. And uh, he was telling me that there... There wasn't that many cyclists and there were, you know, tons of cars and everything like that. And so for me to, to go back as an adult and um, visit my, my family, like my mom's side of the family all still mostly lives there. So um, mm-hmm. went to go see them. And uh, yeah, a couple of my cousins are kind of into riding now too. And so my first day riding, uh, it was a Sunday and uh, we went out on kind of like their their weekend ride and I was like completely blown away by the amount of cyclists that I had seen on the road and there's still like some cars and stuff like that and I kid you not there was probably maybe close to like 300 cyclists on the road it was unreal it felt like I was in the middle of like a grand fondo (laughs) it was like the Sunday you know warrior ride uh we went like down this hill down this kind of not really mountain, but down this hill and then rode um, in this like flatter valley area, uh, which had a bit more of a bike lane um, and then went back up the hill. And there were so many riders out. It was unreal. And I, you know, it made me really excited and happy to see that um, cycling is catching on in, in uh, you know, a developing country. And, um, and it's cool to see, you know, like people getting outside and, and riding and I mean the weather is so nicer like how could you not you know um, <laughs> so um, no it was, it was really cool and I was really surprised and then um, later that week I had taken part in a Grand Fondo and there was also tons of riders and, and teams and, and there was some racing going on too so it, it was really cool to see and it's really developing there and I, I hope that it continues to grow. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. And that is going to happen everywhere because, as you were saying, when the weather is so cool, you can only go out and ride. Just everybody, just think about us that we are living in Northern <laughs> Europe. Here is impossible exactly. to ride. <laughs> yeah. uh, going back to the, to, to the peloton. Uh, so apart from you, obviously, uh, which other riders should we keep an eye on for the next season? Who are you looking closely like like my competition or just someone who's coming up really really talented you can decide or you can tell me the both um i think yeah there's some there's some team some girls who change teams and i think it'll it'll make for a really good season i think with jolene now on um 
um, I think it's Mickleton Scott now. It's a different team name. Um, and then, you know, Kazia now on Canyon and now Pauline's really back now too. So should be a really fun uh, competitive year. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. And then um, as far as like up and coming goes, uh, Skylar Schneider, a uh, young American, had signed with, with Bulls Dolman. So that's really, really cool. And uh, you know, I hope to see you know, her get used to the, the European racing and have some fun here and, and learn more about it. And I think she, she'll do really well here, I think. And also the young girls on our team are, <laughs> they're monsters, man. They're so strong. Uh, Liana, Lipper, and uh, Juliet Labuse, they, they really uh, impressed me last year. So I think uh, after their first year, uh, pro last year, I think they'll continue to build on on everything this year. Which one is going to be your first race? Uh, my first race will be Het Newsblad. Okay, okay, and it's going to be March. Uh, right? Het Newsblad's the end uh, end of February, last weekend of February. Okay, okay, okay. It's the week before I think the Strade yeah, Bianca. Correct. Yeah, I got it. Um, yeah, and uh, my last question is about a bit more your team. So. Sunweb last year made actually I don't know you won almost everything over there male and female it was a great season what are you gonna look for this year even better for sure <laughs> well it's a, it's impossible to win at everything I don't think we did win everything so um, <laughs> let's say your jersey were in front of a lot of races let's yeah. say. Uh, well, I think, um, I mean, you can always do better. You can always continue to keep challenging. And I think, um, yeah, there are races that we didn't win, of course, that, you know, we can, we can go for this year. And also we can, we can still learn from the races that we had won, uh, where, you know, we maybe made a mistake too. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's still more that we can do. It looks like Tom is, you know, gearing up for another Giro, um yeah i think michael will continue to target the green jersey at the tour and uh yeah you know we'll do the same thing what we did last year and just continue to you know go into a race you know with the best possibility to win mm. um might be me it might be ellen uh you know it might be lucinda it doesn't matter um as long as it's on the team i think we we all have a really good understanding of, of racing as as a team and together yeah it looks like also i'm watching as usual your presentation and as i was saying also your um instagram accounts of you and your old teammates it looks like a really funny place to ride a funny group to ride with isn't it yeah i mean i don't know what everyone else thinks but i i definitely <laughs> have fun uh with the group and um yeah i think that just speaks to you know yeah what we post and our results in uh yeah, I think we we have a good uh, good chemistry together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like like this, and uh, yeah, I would say that it was a pleasure. If you want to add anything, that's the time to do it. Uh, nothing off the top of my head. Just uh, thanks for having a chat and thanks for having me. And uh, yeah. Cool. Thank you, actually, to be here talking with me for this half an hour, and uh, really good luck for your season. For sure, we're going to talk again. I'm going to send you some messages of good luck and straight on and cheering. Perfect. So <laughs> thanks <laughs> Thank a lot so and good luck. Thank you. Bye-bye. And thanks a lot, Corinne, for your amazing words on women's cycling. I will try to get involved again and again and again in this world. But for now, it's better to wrap up this episode. Thanks a lot to my sponsors, Wahoo and Isador. And thanks a lot to you who are supporting me and listening every week. And that can also 
message me at hello at calamaro.cc, my email, or instagram.com slash readcalamaro, or twitter.com slash readcalamaro. Remember, we still need to twitter slash email bombing those two guys. Lance Armstrong, I would love to have him on my microphone, or and Phil Gaymond. Please bomb them with your messages and tell them that they have to be together with Calamaro at Broom Wagoon. Thanks a lot for your help and for listening to me. I will talk to you next week. Bye.